0: Welcome back to another episode of Product Thinking. I am Kyle. This week, we are talking about why we are so bad at estimating and what we can do about it. We as humans are bad at estimating. I remodeled our laundry room a little while ago. It was a project that I had on my list for a long time, so I was excited to get it done. We didn't have any storage in that room. It was a lot of wasted space. And so it seemed like a really good project. Uh, I estimated at the beginning that it would take me three days to finish. It took me 12 days of work over the course of about a month. So I was off by a factor of four. And what went from what I had hoped to be a long weekend project (laughs) ended up being an entire month project. Unfortunately, this isn't unusual. I am always off in my estimates of home projects, like many of you probably are uh, as well. I did the same thing with the deck for our backyard that I built last summer. I estimated it would take a month to complete this project, but in reality, it really took six. And I have built a deck before. It wasn't even the first time that I had done something very similar to this, and I was still way, way off in my estimation. Fortunately for me, I am not alone in being bad at estimating. We as people are all bad Estimating. Let's consider the story of the Sydney Opera House as an example. The original estimates for construction of the Opera House were made in 1957. The planners estimated it would cost around seven million U.S. dollars to build, and we would be completed in 1963. So about four years after construction began. In reality, the cost was over 102 million USD. And construction wasn't completed until 1973. So the planners were off by 10 years, which is a factor of 3.5, and off by 95 million USD, a factor of about 14.5. There were many reasons why this happened, including a rush to get started, unforeseen issues, incomplete initial plans, general optimism regarding the timeline and budget. And we like to pick on the Sydney Opera House when we talk about estimating because it's such a great example and ultimately ended up being an incredible incredible building. But the same thing happens for many projects, large and small. So why are we bad at estimates? It comes down to the planning fallacy and everyone falls victim to the planning fallacy. We consistently underestimate the time it will take to complete something. But why? Why do we underestimate? Why do we fall victim to this planning fallacy of consistently underestimating the time it will take? So there's a number of reasons why. First up is over-optimism. We're too optimistic, especially in our own abilities. As humans, we have a bias towards optimism, no matter how irrational it may be. There's a really, really great Harvard Business Review article on this topic And of course, I link that in the newsletter, so you can check that out. So check out the links in the show notes, or head on over to productthinking.cc for the newsletter. Most people, quoting from this article, most people are highly optimistic most of the time. Research into human cognition has traced this over-optimism to many sources. One of the most powerful is the tendency of individuals to exaggerate their own talents, to believe that they are above average in their endowment of positive traits and abilities. Consider a survey of 1 million students conducted by the College Board in the 1970s. When asked to rate themselves in comparison to their peers, 70% of students said they were above average in leadership ability, while only 2% rated themselves below average. For athletic prowess, 60% saw themselves above the median, six percent below. When assessing their ability to get along with others, 60 percent of students judge themselves to be in the top decile and fully 25 percent consider themselves in the top one (laughs) percent, which is crazy. It is, of course, not just college students who have this uh, incredible ability to be over optimistic. Executives and leaders have the same problem. Quoting again from this article, one study of letters to shareholders in annual reports, for example, found that executives tend to attribute favorable outcomes to factors under their control, such as corporate strategy or their R&D investments. Unfavorable outcomes, by contrast, were more likely to be attributed to uncontrollable external factors such as weather or inflation. So with our own abilities, we have this incredible difficulty in being objective, While whether you're a project planner, a college student, or an executive, it's always the same, we're over optimistic, especially when it comes to our own abilities. So that's the first thing. Second thing is we we tend to plan for the best case scenario. When we're planning, we frequently plan like this and disregard any risks or potential delays. This is clearly what I did when I estimated three days to remodel our laundry room. And I continually do it in most home projects, although I know, I know for a fact I will have to go to the hardware store multiple times as new problems come up. I never put more than one trip into my plan. I just, I can't, I can't allow myself to do it, to acknowledge the fact that I will probably be going three or four times in a single day in order to get things for a project that I'm working on. With the laundry room, I had to go back to the store multiple times just for the cabinets that I was putting in because they kept coming damaged. I assumed wrongly that we'd be able to purchase some cabinets in good condition and then install them. But that was not the case at all. With the Sydney Opera House, they assumed a number of different things, but initially assuming they assumed the ground was firm enough to support the structure but geological surveys showed that it wasn't. An additional foundation work had to be completed before they could actually begin the construction of the building. We frequently fall victim to this same best case scenario thinking in projects at work. Rather than account for unforeseen risks or potential problems, we estimate based on the best case scenario. Product managers, developers, leaders almost always plan like this. We always plan for the best case. And we assume, again wrongly, that issues will be minimal or easy to overcome, or we won't run into any, and that is how we plan. So, we also ignore historical information. This is another factor into the planning fallacy. When estimating, we don't consider history or historical data that we might have. In the book, Thinking Fast and Slow, Daniel Kahneman gives a great example. He was working on a project for the Israeli Ministry of Education, to produce curriculum for schools about judgment and decision-making. This included writing a textbook uh, for, for this curriculum. The group that he was working with made a lot of progress and then estimated it would take two years to complete the rest of it. So they'd been working on it. They decided to make an estimate around about two years. But Kahneman decided to ask an expert in their group about similar efforts in the past. Quoting from the book, I then asked whether he knew the history of these teams in some detail, and it turned out he was familiar with several. I asked him to think of these teams when they had made as much progress as we had. How long from that point did it take them to finish their textbook projects? You know, I never realized this before, but in fact, not all the teams at a stage comparable to ours Ever did complete their task, a substantial fraction of the teams ended up failing to finish the job. That is what their expert told them. So, according to their expert, only about 40% of teams created the curriculum, and it often took over seven years to complete. So, nowhere near the two year estimate that, that the group had. But did this stop their effort? No. The group disregarded this information and continued working on. Their project, assuming their original estimates would be closer to being correct. And of course, unsurprisingly, they were incorrect. It took eight years to finish. So much more in line with historical data that they had access to, but decided to again ignore and be over optimistic. How often do we set aside historical data, whether in home projects or software development or anything else that we're working on? Happens way too frequently. So that's another factor. Here's another one anchoring. And this one is so good. Too often we become anchored by our original estimates and cannot adjust based on new information. This is the anchoring bias, which is something that uh, my wife and I got to see firsthand uh, recently. So some very, very good store managers recently demonstrated this to us. Uh, my wife and I were browsing in a very expensive outerwear store and the manager, who was incredibly nice, by the way, insisted my wife try on a very, very expensive coat. She then showed us the price and we all laughed because it was, it was absurd for us anyway. So the manager put the coat back and got another one. It was still very expensive at a few thousand dollars, but it was like one-tenth the cost of the first one. So she successfully anchored us to the cost of the first coat and then showed us a much better priced item that we didn't buy either, but they weren't shy about what they were doing. They even told us that anything looks reasonable after you've tried on the most expensive item. They anchored us to that original price and then were able to show us much better prices comparable to that one. So frequently we anchor on our original estimates on anything that we see originally, which again, when we're talking about projects, when we're talking about whether it's a software development or a construction project, our gen- our initial estimates are generally too optimistic, but we anchor on that and we can't adjust based on new information. Again, this happens often in software development and project planning as we create Our best-case scenario plans, these become the anchors, and we're often reluctant to adjust our anchors once they've been set. There's also, of course, social pressure. Uh, Social and organizational pressure can lead to us being very poor at estimating. All of us are asked to make estimates all the time. I was in a meeting recently where a manager asked a team member how long he thought it would take for this specific team member to create a document. Uh, He thought about it and then gave a very optimistic estimate, way too optimistic in my experience, because he wanted to make the manager happy, just like all of us do. We all face this type of pressure. And managers consciously or unconsciously drive unrealistic deadlines based on overly optimistic estimates because employees want to seem like they can deliver no matter what. It's this social and organizational pressure. I do this, I, I fall victim to this too, both professionally and personally, even though I like to think that I know better. A friend recently asked if I could help create a website uh, and when I thought I could do it. I foolishly gave a very short timeline because of social pressure. And it wasn't even real pressure. It was pressure I put on myself to appear like I could do something very, very quickly, much more quickly than I should have agreed to. So what are some of the impacts of this? In organizations specifically, our difficulty in estimating leads to a variety of issues and considerations, things that we need to think about. The first one, an and obvious one, is delays and costs. Uh, bad estimates can either delay, they can cause cost overruns, or just general unhappiness. According to the Project Management Institute, nearly half of projects aren't completed within their original timeline. And About the same amount changed scope during that time, which any of us who have worked on products or projects know that this is this is probably about right. And it probably is even far more than half that aren't completing on original estimates. Most of us have probably experienced a version of this. I was working on a new product several years ago, and we were given a deadline to launch by the executive team. This was without our team estimating the time or effort, though we would have still been wrong had we estimated. But of course, we didn't hit that deadline. We were delayed in our launch for a number of reasons. And while we did eventually launch our product and and had a ton of success with it, it wasn't without that initial discomfort of delays and general unhappiness that comes with it. Of course, it can be worse than that. Uh, another possible outcome is a complete project failure. A project may completely fail. Rather than just delays or additional costs, it may never come to fruition. The Garden Bridge in London was a project like this. It was meant to be a garden bridge over the Thames and planning was approved in 2014. But after underestimating support and costs, the project eventually just had to be completely scrapped in 2017, costing about $43 million up to that point. So those are a couple things. There's also a couple other considerations that we should have. Uh, the first one is Brooks' Brooks's Law, which states that more people on a project, the longer the project will take. And this was originally coined in the book, The Mythical Man Month. There is a certain point where adding more people to a project will actually make it take longer rather than speed it up. And this often becomes a problem when we've been overly optimistic about our estimates, which is always, and have become anchored on the timeline. We can't simply add people to a project and expect it to meet our estimates. So there's not a quick solution in that way. There's also Parkinson's Law, uh, which states that work will expand to fill the time allotted. While we may think that all we need to do to overcome our bad estimates is to pad them, to uh, scotty them, as it were, to you know say it will take eight hours when we know it will only take four. That alone won't solve the problem either, because work tends to expand to fill the time allotted. Now, does that mean that we should be feel that we should feel justified in unreasonable timelines? It doesn't. Parkinson's law shouldn't be considered a carte blanche. To set unreasonable deadlines, all projects, uh, all projects take time, and you certainly can't build a skyscraper in a day or a factory in a week. And the more complex the project, the more time it typ- it typically takes. So we can't, again, simply add people to a project. We can't uh, est- overestimate the time it will take, and then expect that it won't that we won't fall victim to Parkinson's law because the extended timelines will fill with work despite our best intentions. So what can we do? What are some things that we can do to overcome the planning fallacy and avoid these bad estimates? First up, we can get an outside perspective. We need to either get an outside perspective or take an outside perspective ourselves. Too often, we're too close to a project or an initiative to appropriately estimate how long it will take or how much it will cost. And this is the traditional and intuitive approach. We we want to rely on those closest to make the estimates. In this case, we need someone from the outside or we need to force ourselves to view it from the outside in order to make an estimate. So the outside view is more likely to produce accurate forecasts and much less likely to deliver highly unrealistic ones. This is often referred to as reference class forecasting. Rather than estimate based on the details of the work, we examine other projects or initiatives that are similar and we create a reference class. Again, according to the HBR article that I mentioned previously, quoting from that one, the contrast between inside and outside views has been confirmed in systematic research. Recent studies have shown that people When people are asked simple questions requiring them to take an outside view, their forecasts become significantly more objective and reliable. For example, a group of students enrolling in a college were asked to rate their future academic performance relative to their peers in their major. On average, these students expected to perform better than 84% of their peers, which is logically impossible. Another group of incoming students from the same major were asked about their entrance scores and their peer scores before being asked about their expected performance. This simple detour into pertinent outside view information, which both groups of subjects were aware aware of, reduced the second group's average expected performance ratings by 20%. They were still overconfident, but it's much more realistic than the forecast made by the first group. So by taking an outside view We're able to give better estimates of how long something will take. We can also plan for the worst case. Uh, Planning for the worst case scenario and the best case scenario helps us because then we can figure out where the most likely scenario will be. This is often called three point estimation. We take the optimistic view and then we take the pessimistic view and we figure out where the most likely scenario between those will be. Uh, This allows us to better assess assess the risks of a project. If I had used this approach when I was remodeling our laundry room, three days would have been my optimistic estimate. And then I, I could have allowed for two to three days for each phase that I had, creating a much more pessimistic estimate of about 20 days, which would have given me a midpoint much closer to the realistic timeline than my overly optimistic estimate. And we can also create small chunks. We should break the work into small pieces to reduce the uncertainty of each part. If we break a project or initiative into a small chunk, we can get much more accurate estimates than trying to estimate the whole thing. We often try to do this in software development, breaking large initiatives into epics and then stories so we can more accurately estimate the size and the scope. That doesn't mean we're immune to making bad estimates or exempt from executives who want to know when the whole thing will be done. But it does allow us to get more specific about the parts of a product or a project, which will then give you some breathing room in your estimating. So understanding our biases and improving, estimating is difficult. We're all notoriously bad at it. But we can be better by knowing that we are bad at estimating and recognizing our cognitive biases and the planning fallacy. We can get better at estimating by incorporating an outside view, planning for the worst case scenario and breaking down the work into smaller pieces. We may never be good at estimating, but with these tips, we can all at least be a little bit better. So that is our discussion this week of why we're so bad at estimating and what we can do about it. I hope that you have enjoyed this podcast. If you have definitely follow us wherever you get your podcasts and Go over to productthinking.cc and subscribe to the newsletter if you haven't done that already, the free version or the paid version uh, to support this podcast and the newsletter and everything that I'm doing. You can follow us on Twitter at product thinking uh, and TikTok as well. That's just one T in the middle of product thinking. And you can follow me on TikTok and Twitter at Kyle Larry Evans. And until next time, keep questioning all those assumptions.